Blog Talk Radio. October 18th, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And here we discuss news, politics, and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff. And if you have looked around at my last minute announcement of show title, etc., you've seen it's called American, in parentheses, Dreaming is Free. And it's inspired by a Blondie song, um, really the song that I heard over and over and over as a child. It was on the album Eat to the Beat, which I played so much on vinyl. I shouldn't even admit that, right, age-wise. Played so much that I wore that thing out. Um, This title, tried to brainstorm something that was, as one of my friends was uh, calling it, floaty, less floaty than this. It sounds a little bit floating, but I've done this before to you guys. I've had a title inspired by a song lyric and then explain what in the world I was thinking of. So I'm going to do that today. And what this is tying in are a couple different things that, you know, the first thing that got my brain going this morning was Trump and Trump is tweeting about the NFL again. So we'll, you know, look at exactly what was tweeting and stuff, but you know, his idea that he can or anybody can force or cajole somebody into respecting our country and having that be any sort of meaningful thing. That was the thing that, that was you know kind of getting me going at the beginning of the day. And then you can actually kind of tie this idea of the fact that you can't force true respect or love for country into what Weinstein did as well. We're going to talk a bit about the... Harvey Weinstein's story as it unfolds might even talk a little bit about this whole Me Too campaign that's been going on. Um, a couple other things. So I've got a little bit of program notes over at the blog at don'tletitgo.com. You can check those out. A couple tweets. There's one thing there that you really should look at because uh, we're going to talk, we're going to compare Reagan versus Trump kind of on this axis of loving America, um, the relationship between the president and love of country between the two. <laughs> Craig in the chat room says, Godfather Trump. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that this is this is about where it gets to. So I, I'm going to it might be a little bit scattered the way that I present this to you, because I'm going to be drawing different things from social media posts and running around to Twitter and and stuff like that and trying to collect all of the thoughts that I was having as I was, you know, I was doing my walk with the 
flowers and thinking of, you know, different aspects of this topic and stuff. So I'm going to do what I can to tie this all, but there, I think there's going to be some things that you'll find valuable. And I do invite you to call in as well. If you want to add to the conversation here, the number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Before I jump in, I'm going to just tell you one little fun update that I got this morning. Those of you who have been following me for a long time, you know that I had this weird kidney surgery thing in back in November 2015. It's almost been two years now since I had this done. And I had a follow-up scan done back in May uh, that was supposed to see, you know, is the repair that they did, is it still working? Because what had happened was I had this weird blockage, so my kidney couldn't drain properly. And it was causing me a lot of pain, but I just thought, oh, it's just back pain. I let it go on for a long time. Finally got it fixed that time in November. Uh, you've ta- heard me talk about the experience. It was traumatic because of all the drugs they gave me. You know, the whole I went through a pretty much hell to get this thing fixed. And so then the question is, well, did the fix actually work? And I had this scan done in May. And when you sit and have this, it's called a nuclear renal scan. When you look at the machines, you can tell at least that there's not a blockage. You know, I can watch the nuclear material going through my body or whatever. No, no problem. But when they analyze the results, what they try to give you, and I, I don't think it's super precise, but they try to give you this idea of what percentage of the work each of your kidneys is doing, you know? So last time I had had this scan done, I think the left kidney, the damaged kidney was doing only 18% of the total work. So if you think, well, each kidney should ideally do 50% of the work, that's pretty pathetic, but it's there, right? And you say, okay, that's worth saving. So then the question is, come around a year later, this May, what's the answer? You know, what, what kind of work is it doing? It has taken me from May until today to get the answer to that question. Um, you know, it wasn't so urgent, like I said, because I saw on the machine that the kidney was draining. I was supposed to have an appointment with the surgeon. It got lost in their system, so I never got to see him. And I just said, hey, you know, I saw that the blockage is gone. If you just give me a call and let me know. The word is it's slightly improved from before, so that there's been actual some improvement, and therefore my kidney might actually be regenerating. How reliable that is, I don't know. But what I do know, at least, is that we have saved whatever I had and it's working. So that's good news, right? So we're going to personal front, but yeah, I just got that call this morning. It was pretty random that I did finally after all this time, I left a message the last time, like weeks ago and said, Hey, you know, can you just let me know what you know? So that's good. All the hell I went through seems to have been worth it. I have a left kidney that's doing something. Okay. So let's dive in over on the program notes, you see the first thing is really just a tweet because I woke up this morning and I saw here's what real Donald Trump on Twitter was tweeting. He says, the NFL has decided that it will not force players to stand for the playing of our national anthem. Total disrespect for our great country. So my answer to this, and I'm, I'm, I use the word force in the answer to it because he uses the word force. Of course, I do not think that if the NFL was to have a rule requiring the players to do this, I don't think it's actually force, right? Uh, yeah, you know, you don't have a right to a job. And I'll, I agree with everybody who's giving me those counter arguments, but I use the word force because he did. And 
what I say here in the response is also just true as stated. And then I'll even elaborate further. But this is what I say back. You've got 140 characters, right? This is the game on Twitter is to say something valuable in 140 or fewer characters. So here it is. I say not forcing someone to put on a disingenuous display of patriotism shows respect for a core value on which our country was founded. And then after the colon, reason. Right? If you are the NFL and you decide that you are not going to require the players, you know, again, it's not force. I understand it's a job and everything else. But if you decide you're not going to require those players to engage in this phony display of patriotism. I should have used the word phony, but there I was at, you know, five in the morning or something, woke up early and I'm tweeting before coffee or anything. So uh, I should have just said phony. Anyway, phony display, right? This phony display of patriotism. If you decide you're not going to require that of your people, what you're doing is you're respecting their minds. You're respecting that a mind cannot be forced Reason is something that operates volitionally. And the NFL knows, just like everybody else, that if they require these guys to act like puppets and stand up, you know, for the anthem, it doesn't mean that they have respect for the country. You cannot force respect or love for country. You cannot cajole it or whatever, you know, offer money, pay people to do it. it it's not going to create any genuine love or respect for country. So the the value, the value that the NFL is respecting this this freedom of the will of reason, I think is more important. Now some people would say, okay, well, you know, maybe you want the NFL to embody American values and everything else. But I'm I'm thinking if I'm an American employer of any kind, unless suppose my business is I sell American flags or something, right? It's it's an explicitly patriotic business. But otherwise, I just think if, if you really understand what America is about, you understand that this cannot be forced. And for Trump to even speak in terms of, well, it's bad that they're not forcing them, shows that he just doesn't get it at all, not one iota, right? So... Next iteration of, you know, kind of the thought process, and I'm going to zoom over, be over in my little Facebook page to, to get it. Facebook is so fun because they, now they let you make your own little meme or whatever. So this is kind of the next iteration of the thought. Any real love, including love of your country, cannot be bought, coerced, or cajoled. Cannot be. You cannot buy it. You cannot buy it by, you know, dangling big NFL salaries in front of these players. You can't buy it. You certainly can't coerce it. And, you know, Trump is talking about what what NFL rules should be and everything else. And you could say, well, he's not really talking about force. He's not really making legislation. There's always, I think, when you have a president with as much power as our presidents have now, there's always an implicit threat there in the background, that they can do something. They can regulate you, make your life miserable, go through the IRS. Something can happen to you. So if you see a president, and he's talked about must show respect, you know, with exclamation points, it's very imperative, his tone. 
when he's talking about this NFL stuff. There's an implicit threat in there, just like there was an implicit threat with Obama. And I talked about it with the TAC Watch, and I did a whole post on it and everything else, and I've talked to you guys about it a lot. There is this implicit threat. There is this implicit coercion. You are not going to inspire any sort of love of country by having these implicit threats and bunch of exclamation points and all caps and everything else out on Twitter. It's just not going to happen. Now, you know, I put including love of country and, you know, it's true of of love more generally. I'm not going to tell you I'm some expert on love, right? But I can tell you what you're not going to do if you want to actually have love or inspire love. I looked up Kajol, you know, I'm walking around, I'm taking a picture of some flowers. I haven't had a chance to post them yet and stuff, but, you know, what is Kajol? That's the word that came to mind. Persuade someone to do something by sustained coaxing or flattery. Um, Persuade, wheedle, coax, talk into, prevail on, sweet talk, butter up, soft soap, seduce, and vagal, right? So you can't do all these things, right? And, And hope to end up with anything that is a real love because, again, love is going to be based on an evaluation and that evaluation has to be made freely that the person with their own mind has to say, okay, this is such a value to me that I give it love, you know, whatever love means to you. People have sort of different definitions of what, you know, how they as a shorthand sum up what love means to them. And again, I'm not an expert. So I'm talking about where how you can't get don't you know take me I, I actually put in the program notes there's this post from Huffington Post they have all these psychologists that post stuff there and it's some of it's of better value or worse value there's this whole list 16 is a long list but it's like 16 attributes of real love go read the experts if you want the the true advice I, I don't feel like I can give people other people advice I do you know, I, I, there's there's this great um, Sarah McLaughlin album title. She has fumbling toward ecstasy, and you know, ecstasy I guess meaning you know fulfilling love relationship and and life in general. And that I think sums it up pretty well. I I do that and make my effort. So there. But what I do know is cannot be bought, coerced, or cajoled. And when you think of cajoled. Then you start thinking of some of the stuff that Weinstein was doing with the girls, and that's how we're going to end up bringing that in. But let me go back over to the post because then people started questioning this. Um, you know, I say, well, maybe we've got a common denominator now between you know between Weinstein and Trump. Now, it's it's not that Weinstein right is trying to actually inspire love, I guess, in these women. I, I, I assume that he's not naive enough to think that they would actually love him, but he was trying to somehow cajole, coerce with threats of you'll never work in Hollywood again and all this kind of stuff by some sort of sexual attraction, some sort of real sexual response from the women. You can't do that either, right? Um, so it's really interesting. One One woman who responded to this post of mine about, you know, real love, including love of country cannot be bought, coerced or cajoled. She suggested, well, maybe both Trump and Weinstein are starving for this love, but they don't know how to earn it. 
And um, one, another friend of mine responded, well, that's much more benevolent than I can see being with either of these two. And I would tend to think it is as well, but I'm not. And, she, the, you know, the woman responded, and I, I agree with her. I'm no psychoan- psychoanalyst, she says. Yeah, I'm not going to analyze these guys. But if you look at the actions, they are doing something that is not capable of bringing out the response that they, by their actions, seem to be wanting to get. And, and again, I don't, I couldn't imagine that Weinstein is actually looking for love, but he's looking for some sort of gratifying sexual response. And it's not the way to get that either, even if it's not love that you're interested in. Uh, I was asked by one respondent, you know, can you elucidate me on the definition of real love? Something's missing for me. And I purposely did not try to give a positive definition of real love. And then he suggested, well, why don't we posit it that all love is bought, cajoled and coerced? And I guess he wanted to engage in an argument why it couldn't be that way and everything else. The best I can give you is that love you know, however you characterize that emotional response, and it could be to a person or to your country or to any profound value for you, it's going to be based on your mind making an evaluation of some kind that this thing is so good for you that it's worthy of that response. And that sort of evaluation by your mind cannot be forced and it can't be brought into being by something that's irrelevant to that actual evaluation. So this cajoling, you know, there's a difference between appreciating someone for their values and letting them know that versus just, you know, baseless flattery for, you know, trying to get something out of somebody and stuff. So there's a difference. And, and, And any of that, those behaviors are, completely irrelevant if not inimical to the proper evaluation that this thing is this profound value to you so that's the the best i can give you if you know if you know some psychologist wants to call in and talk about it from an expert psychological perspective i'd be more than happy to entertain that discussion. But what I'm saying is you you just can't do this. So in terms of Trump, right, Trump seems to be wanting to, I would not say inspire, because I just, I can't see him as doing actions that are consistent with inspiration, right? But he wants to somehow instigate stir up, I don't know the way how you would describe it, but love for country, right? He's certainly out there tweeting, trying to fan the flames of it in a certain way or whatever. But he he is also, I think, kind of a parasite on it, right? He's he feeds on it. He uses it to his advantage. He ran on the slogan Make America Great Again. He's he's trying to bring into the fold of his voters those people who love the country or at least think that they love the country in in a certain way. So, you know, my kind of next iteration of the thought was that Trump feeds on love of country. He doesn't inspire it. Certainly, I don't believe he inspires it, nor does he seem to know how. And how could he do it? How he could do it would be 
to actually demonstrate the values for which our country stands. And, and so many times I see him acting in contradiction of the basic values like human reason, the, the free will, the mind being free to choose its values, to choose, you know, to kind of get into one aspect of this topic, to choose your version of the American dream. He's got his idea that it's all about building a wall and keeping immigrants out. And, you know, it's all about solving problems because the world is this big, scary place. This idea of inspiring love of country, he just doesn't do it. So this is kind of the next. And and POTUS, you know, president of the United States of America, a lot of people, they try to do some plays on what should the acronym really be or what should that one stand for. So gloss it as parasite of the United States of America, but it's parasitism in this sense of he is feeding on people's love of the country. He, he, he feeds on it. He doesn't inspire it. He doesn't, as far as I know, even know how to properly inspire a love for this country and what it truly stands for. In, in some ways, I mean, he is, obviously benefiting from people who truly love this country in in a proper sense. But some of the so-called love for country that we have out there, at least that I see on Twitter, is this really warped version of nationalism, xenophobic. Uh, There's a lot of fear and everything. Um, it's, It's not this kind of pure love. And what did come to mind was the comparison to Reagan. And so, you know, it's good. I'm just sharing with you kind of my raw thought process as I was going through it this morning. So a couple days ago, oh, by the way, I wanted to talk about Twitter just a second because it occurred to me a, a couple seconds ago. I had retweeted this tweet from Dave Rubin, and it was just Twitter as a GIF. And the GIF is this like wrestling match or show or whatever. And it's this free for all, like everybody just comes in and starts beating each other up. (laughs) That's how Twitter is sometimes. It just seems like that's what it is. And so what I've experienced out on Twitter sometimes from people, especially when I'm criticizing Trump, is exactly that type of environment. If you go on my Twitter feed, you'll you'll see that as well. Twitter's pretty active out there. I don't. Sometimes I try to check tweets during the show. Sometimes I'm a little bit overwhelmed even to keep up with my thought process in the chat room. It just kind of depends. But if you look at my Twitter feed, you will see Twitter in GIF form. He just tweeted that out yesterday, and it's this all the you know long-haired, costumed wrestling guys and stuff all beating up on each other. It's pretty funny. It's it's pretty darn good. But in any event, about a day ago there was this tweet that. Sandifer, Timothy Sandifer from the Goldwater Institute had sent out there and it was it was Donald Trump Jr. You know, Donald Trump Jr. is like his father's cheerleader so much of the time and it just gets kind of funny. So it's this. He Donald Trump Jr. writes, Worth the read is Trump the heir to Reagan. And then the link is, I've never even gone to the 
link. I'm sorry. You think, okay, Amy, do your research before your show. But the link is to a Pat Buchanan website. It's Buchanan.org, and there's a blog, and it's like Trump is the heir to Reagan. And I don't even know if Sandifer went there. He probably did because he's such a good scholar. He probably went and looked at it. But his whole tweet in response was just, ha, 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 right? And all I did yesterday was just retweet it because it's just silly. But here I am this morning back thinking back, you know, uh, Trump, this idea that, you know, it's okay to force these shows of patriotism in the NFL and, you know, the thought that there's no way that Trump can inspire love of country. He just has no idea how to do it. So then here you go. Here's the comparison between Reagan and Trump. Reagan, for all his faults, was capable, seemed to know how, had at least some of the knowledge required to inspire love of country. He had a love for many of the values that our country was actually founded on, the values that made our country great, the values that, you know, Trump talks about the values of our country, but he doesn't demonstrate them and he doesn't explain them. He doesn't sell the values. Reagan sold the values, right? And I'm not even as good of a, a, you know, kind of a Reagan scholar as maybe I should be. I grew up as a kid while Reagan was president, which I think was just such a gift because it gave you a sense of hope for the future that you could achieve great things in the, in this country of ours. And I'll just give you, you know, this is just a random concrete example, but I think it had quite an effect on my life. And you could say, okay, this is not a proper function of government like NASA isn't and all this kind of stuff. But when I was growing up under Reagan, he did this program and I, who knows, maybe presidents still do this. They probably do, but it was called the president physical fitness program or something. And you could, if you, perform certain feats of strength, right, for kids, you could earn a patch and a certificate. And I believe the certificate was actually signed by the president if you earn this thing, right? So I was at, you know, a grade school, I can't remember where, maybe New Hampshire or something. And they were doing this program, the physical fitness, it might have been Texas. It would make more sense if it was Texas because they were more patriotic, but um, in, in, the, in the better sense. Um, in any event, they gave us this test in our PE class, our physical education class. And I remember, you know, we were given the test and I tried to do the test. And the first time I tried to do it was like the spring of one year or whatever. I couldn't do it. I couldn't complete all the things required to get this presidential patch. Right. And one the thing I couldn't do, if you're a girl, right, you're not required to do all the same things that guys can do you had to do if you're a girl the flexed arm hang for some certain period of time who knows what it was but I couldn't do it I didn't have the upper body strength to do it and since I failed at it I swear I did this I'm such a geek so I spent the summer like doing push-ups every day (laughs) to build strength so I could come back and earn the damn patch in the fall And I did. I earned it somewhere. I'm going to have to dig it out now because I talk about these things. I don't know if I still have it. I might have it like in my little box of memories or whatever, the patch. I don't think I have the certificate, but I swear I got the patch and I think the certificate had been signed by Reagan and I was inspired. 
to do this as a kid. Now, you could say there's probably kids today whose parents talk about Trump in such a way that their kids could end up being inspired by Trump and things like that. But my parents were not really involved. So I was getting this like through maybe teachers and stuff. And somehow I got more, you know, sort of the uh, unmediated inspiration from this program. But, you know, somehow it appealed. And, And again, I just felt like I grew up in a much more benevolent time. Today, if you listen to Trump, it's all, you know, complaining, scare tactics, and everything else. It's not the inspiration of of love for America that Reagan was. So I was talking about this with a friend, and he sent this great clip, and I've put it in the program notes. And if you haven't seen this, maybe a whole bunch of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, you have to go watch it. Maybe I've saw this a while ago, but it's it's been a while if I have seen it. I have some, have a vague memory of having seen it, but it's just wonderful. It is Reagan telling Soviet jokes that he made this effort to collect stories. You know, and he describes what he did there, that he collects stories that, funny stories that Soviets would tell to each other, jokes that they would tell to each other about what life was like in the Soviet Union, about how cynical they were uh, about the system's ability to create any sort of environment for human flourishing. This is my term, right? But, you know, he, he used the word cynicism. It's just wonderful. And he's got a real sense of the value of living in the United States versus the Soviet Union. And he sold the value of America, and he told you by these stories and by these jokes what the contrast is between living in a free country and living under a dictatorship. He internalized it, he embodied it, he dramatized it, he presented it, he sold it to the American people, and he inspired a love for freedom in our way of life. And this is part of the reason that he had at least some ability to reach across party lines. I understand that legislatively he had a number of the same kinds of challenges that that Trump is having. It's not like he was getting the politicians, but you know, politicians are a corrupt, disgusting lot anyway. So who he did inspire were the people, the American people. And, you know, NFL players, I couldn't see NFL players during his time doing the kneeling and all this stuff. I'm not in favor of people kneeling during the national anthem like I've said before I never would do it in my life but when you have a president out there talking about how he thinks the NFL should quote force you know what he means by force requires the term of their contract etc these players to do this and he's not getting the idea that if the players did engage in this little puppet show that it would be utterly meaningless because it wouldn't be coming from a true appreciation of the value of the country. It's ridiculous. Donald, you know, I would just want to tell Donald Trump, how about try to inspire love of country in the people and do it by actually communicating in conceptual terms about the values, not just play a whole bunch of patriotic music and say, Oh, look, 
you know, these military guys sacrifice for the country. I just could never see Trump in an engaging way telling, you know, value-oriented stories about what it's like to live in our country versus the Soviet Union. It's such a great demonstration. Craig in the chat room is saying all totalitarians seek to legitimize their evil actions by using domination to cause people to pretend to consent and affirm, quote unquote, in parentheses, respect them. It's scary. It is truly scary. Um, Now, Cobra in the chat room says, is there not a difference between trying to force patriotism versus trying to deter a show of disrespect? I guess, but how, how is that good? I mean, you know, I'll, all I would maybe say, I would maybe, if I was president, maybe have one tweet about, you know, it's, it's, it's just sad that we're in this time where people don't have a love of this country that makes so many great things possible for us. Or, you know, why not try to motivate them in a positive way? You know, when I was going through the brainstorming, I had a couple of friends who were helping me try to brainstorm a title for this show. And one of them, I have a really smart friend and she was uh, talking about motivation by love versus motivation by fear, which is an issue that we talk about in, Rand's philosophy objectivism you know isn't it really more about this and wanted me to put this more in the title but that is really what it is you know I'm sorry I'm a rebel I do my little title with the blondie song and we're going to bring in this American dream theme in a bit here but motivate positively yeah I mean sometimes there's deterrence okay but this is this is deterrence to try to get them not to kneel at a, at a thing at a, it's, you know, deterrence, you could say, okay, well, we have to have a criminal law to deter, deter criminal actions, but you can't, again, you can't force a mind. You cannot force love of country. You cannot force true respect for the country. You can't force respect for the flag. You can't force an understanding of what the flag stands for. And by his attempt to do it again, he is showing a lack of respect for reason, for human reason, for the mind that is free, that can't be forced, that is necessary to sustain our lives, right? In order to engage in any productive activity, your mind has to be left free. You have to be left free to figure out what is the truth about how to get blueberries to the supermarket the very best and freshest way so that they have the most vitamins and aren't rotten and poison for you um if if you are forced all you can be is a little automaton and you're not going to be able to go out and specialize and be the very best at whatever it is that you choose to do to contribute to a great and flourishing and enjoyable and rich life Um, it can't be done America was founded on leaving mind free, this core value, leaving people free to pursue their happiness. That's such an individual endeavor. And the idea that somehow you're going to achieve, I mean, maybe there's a part of, I mean, okay, give it to him. There's a part of Trump that sincerely wants 
people to love their country exactly the same way that they used to. And he's just completely inept and he doesn't know how to do that. But someone's got to get through to him that it's got to be inspired in a positive fashion. It You can't be, and I, you know, put in cajole the, you know, the, the negative sort of talk as well. He wants the press to talk about him better. He's not going to achieve that by cajoling them into it. And if they do write some positive article, it's not meaningful. It shouldn't mean anything to him. It's it's, it's ridiculous. Um, Craig says that this perverse idea is at the root of all the Aramaic religions. They all promote the perverted idea that morality consists of empty obedience to a cosmic bully. Yeah. And he's in an earlier. Craig is is really on fire today. He's an oxymoron, genuine plus Trump. Yeah, it, it, he the the idea of him seeming genuine. Now Reagan was an actor, but I, I don't think that you could give that type of performance without also internalizing the values to a large extent. I just I just don't think that you could. So I do highly recommend checking out. Reagan's telling of those jokes afterwards, after the after the show is over. I'm a little bit late. I'm going to go ahead and take a tiny musical interlude break, sip some coffee, sip some water. We'll be right back. Okay, everyone, I am back. If you do want to call in and talk about this topic, different implications of it, I'm going to move over to the Weinstein element of it in, the, in a second here. The number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Um, yeah, so it makes you nostalgic for for Reagan. Of course, the whole Reagan era was pre-9-11, too, and everything before 9-11 just seems a little bit brighter and, and happier because a lot of us were profoundly affected by watching those buildings come down and we'll jump off them and horrible, horrible stuff. Um, let me see if there's another element of this discussion over there that I wanted to get to. Uh, one, one respondent to my post about Real love, you know, cannot be bought, coerced, or cajoled. Not even a little cajoling? No, not if it's cajoling. You know, again, in my mind, I, I do, and I go look up words when they occur to me to make sure that I've got the connotation correct, because sometimes I, I need a little bit of correction, but I'm on the track. Cajoling, as I understand it, is some sort of a baseless flattery, that it's not of the type that, you know, when Aristotle would talk about love, about appreciating the values and finding someone who's who's a mirror and, and all of those sorts of things that this is it it it's just flattery flattery without any real foundation in order to try to get somebody to do something that you want them to do because you have no idea what your real interests are that's the kind of thing that I talk about and that's the sort of 
praise that you see Trump engage in out on Twitter too, right? He praises people usually because he either wants something from them or he doesn't want them to say anything bad about him and et cetera, et cetera. It's not, you don't get a sense that it's real based on actually value. And I was watching, you know, Rob Aviera shared with me the other day, um, it was on the Monday, there was an impromptu press conference that Trump had called with um, Mitch McConnell. And he sat there and the whole thing was like the two of them were flattering each other and saying, hey, yeah, we're best buds. And haven't we done all this great stuff and everything? It was just this mutual appreciation society or whatever. And part of it, it, it's like Trump was saying, okay, I'm telling him I love you now, but you better do what I want because otherwise I'm not going to love you. You There's, there's false praise and flattery. And then there's like implicit threats of what'll happen to you if he doesn't get his way all mixed up in this totally warped little press conference. And it's just kind of fun to watch it. So thanks for sending that along, Rob. But wow, how how warped. Disgustipating. Is that what you're saying, Rob, about that press conference? Was that was it about that? Yeah, I think that's what it was. You can confirm there in the chat room that's what it's about. So let, let's go over to the Weinstein piece a little bit and boy this story has gotten really mixed up the one link that I've got in the program notes for today is a screenwriter who you know god I've, you know I've been sharing stuff with with profanity this doesn't actually have the it's got you know the bleeped out profanity in the title everybody effing knew about Weinstein in effect is what the screenwriter is saying and and there was a Facebook post that this guy posted and it looks like he then hid the post. So at one point he'd made the post publicly available and it looks like now he's hidden it, which I mean, is just part of the whole mess of this in the article. They have apparently copied and pasted the content of what was in this Facebook post for you, but you can't actually get to the Facebook post itself and I don't really know Hollywood screenwriters, et cetera, but this is Scott Rosenberg, a screenwriter. And he talks about the fact that everybody knew this and that nobody wanted to say anything. And if you scroll down through this long diatribe of his, there's a paragraph that starts, and here's where the slither meets the slime. And this was pointed out to me uh, by a friend of a friend. So my, my friend had posted this and then his friend had been the the originator of sharing this link and, and also posted, you know, pointed out this particular paragraph. Uh, he says, Harvey was showing us the best of times. He was making our movies, throwing the biggest parties. And it goes on and on about how showing us the best of times as professionals in Hollywood, you know, um, helping us network and giving us these great parties and making the movies and everything else. And we had epic Oscar weekends and it goes on and on, you know, the, the film festivals, Sundance, Cannes, uh, Toronto, Telluride, Berlin, Venice, private jets, stretch limousines, Springsteen shows. This reads sort of like a, a free verse poem, right? And then he talks about this. He says, never mind us, right? The Hollywood professionals. He says, what about, what he was doing for the culture. And 
what he was doing for the culture was making these beautiful films. And he, this uh, screenwriter, Rosenberg, writes, he says, making stunningly splendid films at a time when everyone else was cranking out simpering Independence Day ripoffs. He says it was glorious, all of it. He says, so what if he was coming on, to a, coming on a little strong to some young models who had moved mountains to get into one of his parties? So what if he was exposing himself in five-star hotel rooms like a cartoon flasher out of Mad Magazine? Just swap road for, uh, rope for raincoat. Who were we to call foul? Golden geese don't come along too often in one's life. He says, which goes back to the original point. Everybody effing knew. Everyone was having too good of a time, just having too good of a time and doing remarkable work, making remarkable movies. So this is so warped, right? Because, and this is where then I had gotten into a conversation with this friend and he knew some more history of Hollywood. And I think a lot of us knew that there's been a lot of um, involvement from Jewish people in Hollywood, also in comics. I've, I've heard, you know, that a number of the superheroes, the greatest superheroes, were created by Jewish comic book writers and, uh, you know, character designers and, and such. So how is it that a Jewish immigrant participates in the American dream, my friend was talking about, and he said it's through portraying the American dream in movies. Now, in all of the great movies that Weinstein was helping to produce, was he exactly portraying what we would all say is the American dream? Maybe not perfectly, but in the sense of actually giving you something uh, deeper and more filled with value than a lot of the other stuff, certainly. And so here he is, right? And, and I was talking a bit about this on Monday's show. I was talking about how, you know, absurd it is. And I was trying to, you know, tie it into my quantum, my quantum politics, my quantum theme, right? How absurd is it to try to make a great film portraying positive values while treating the actresses whom you expect to, you know, put on these convincing portrayals of the characters on the screen to be compelling on screen, right? These, you want the best out of these actresses. And then you do these horrible things to them, which just messes with their self-esteem big time. How screwed up is that? I mean, how messed up is that? And that this was going on and on and that everybody knew about it and didn't see the contradiction. Now, then you wonder, okay, but look, they did. They pulled it off. They, they created these great films. And why is it? I mean, these actresses are actresses, right? They're really excellent. And, you know, Weinstein, everybody's piling on Weinstein, but Weinstein, insofar as you were getting any from any of these women, whatever you were getting was not genuine, certainly not love, right? Certainly not love, but not even a genuine sexual response. These are actresses. And, and you could say, okay, well, there's a reason that particularly in Hollywood, this sort of sexual assault and rape and everything else is going to go from men to women. So predominantly because there's this, at least illusion 
that there's success in, in that direction, right? Because women are more capable of putting on at least a semi-plausible faking show of response. But um, how messed up? I mean, how messed up? So yeah, you can't coerce or buy or cajole love, but nor can you even coerce or buy or cajole actual real sexual response. You can coerce or buy or cajole a phony one. And if you think you're getting a value from that, oh my gosh, it's just so weird. Um, so, so the whole, what's the aftermath of this, right? The whole aftermath of this now is this me too. And the me too, you don't even know how to deal with that because there's so many different facets of this me too campaign that's been going on out there. So for example, um, one actress, I can't re- I think it was Reese Witherspoon that someone posted, but it may have been a different actress, and I don't want to commit some horrible libel or, or something like that. Let me see if I can find it, because I don't want to misrepresent here. In any event, the idea was that an actress had come out and said that there was a famous director who had sexually assaulted her, and wouldn't say who it was. And so then the question is, well, if you do come forward, yeah, Reese Witherspoon, okay, good, uh, says that she was sexually assaulted by a director at 16. And, you know, why does she come out and say it? And you'd say, okay, well, she comes out and says it, but she doesn't reveal who it was. And why doesn't she? Because at this point, she is powerful enough that, she could stand it. She could take the heat if there were repercussions. Now, you could say right now, Hollywood is eager to root this out. And maybe it's because they truly do recognize the massive contradiction at the very least. It's, you know, the idea that they are portraying potentially, you know, how well do they do this? You can critique, but they're portraying life as it might be and ought to be on screen. They're supposed to be communicating values and things to aspire for in these films. And and that's the thing that makes people go to the movies is that they want to escape, be inspired, uplifted, etc. And then to have the whole industry tainted and just polluted by this slime, you know, where where the slither meets the slime as that screenwriter wrote, it's disgusting, right? So you'd say, okay, she's probably in this environment where she should feel safe to, to name this person. Now, one person came in and said, maybe she's doing that for legal liability reasons that she doesn't want to be sued or something like that. So it's not just she fears for career repercussions in Hollywood, but that, there's going to be a legal action taken against her. And I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, but what I can say is, you know, here's a woman and you have to take her at her word, right? You're you're either going to take her at her word or you're not. She was assaulted. Somebody used force on her against her will to try to get some sort of sexual gratification, supposedly, but it can't be about that, right? Anybody knows that what they're getting is not true sexual gratification in a situation like this. So yeah, it's power and other things. I'm not a psychologist, but 
you're just not getting that if you're doing this. Um, but, you know, they're using force against her. Don't we all subscribe to the idea that morality ends where a gun begins, right? That once the force enters into the equation and here's this person who's traumatized by it, then, you know, she's taking, she's doing her part. She says, okay, I'm going to try to raise awareness of this issue, but I'm going to reveal this much and I don't want to talk about more for whatever reason that she has about it. That These are things that happened to her that hurt her that are very personal. And she says, okay, well, you know, I want to help with this cause to a certain extent. I think it's important. And you could say, okay, it's important to raise awareness of this particular problem, but then to ev- for everybody to nitpick on how these women choose to reveal whatever has happened to them, I think, I think it's pretty lame because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know exactly their experience or why they're making the choices to do the selective revelation. You know, some women are just... Me too, and then they don't give any details at all. Some give a little bit of details. Whatever they say, they are subjecting themselves to some side of some sort of criticism in this environment. It's become very politicized as well. You know, I've got one um, Facebook friend who actually posted an article, sort of critical of the whole Me Too movement, and you know, I could see that there's certain aspects of it that are overly politicized and that maybe in some ways it could encourage people to embrace the victim mentality, right? There are bad elements to something like this, but at the same time, there's a root of this, which is that you want to make people aware of a pervasive problem. And, you know, I, I would say in this regard, you should, separate, at least for me, I would separate so-called sexual harassment from actual initiation of force or some type of, you know, implicit coercion. So for example, um, suppose you'd say, okay, well, in the workplace, right, somebody is trying to, uh, you know, use their power over you in, in terms of employment promotions raises, whatever, to get sexual favors from you. That is slimy and immoral and disgusting. I don't believe it should be legally actionable. You just walk out the door and that's that. What should be and is, you know, and properly so legally actionable is the use of any sort of force against a woman to try to get sex from her, right? There is no right to a job. So the sexual harassment piece, you could talk about it in a cultural way you could say boy isn't it slimy that it's so pervasive out there particularly in Hollywood that women are being told that if they want to get a you know a a role a starring role in a film if they want to be introduced to that producer or this director that they need to give some sort of sexual favor it's disgusting you can critique it but I don't think there should be any legal ramifications for it um but the, the the one thing that you really want to communicate to people is how pervasive sexual assault is. Um, and that, there's a value in that. So imagine if you have been sexually assaulted and then you say, okay, well, 
why is it that you didn't tell me exactly who did it or what the circumstances are or anything else? It's such a can of worms. And as I said, these women have been subjected to force. If they're talking about assault, they've been subjected to force. And then if you're going to go and tell them that they need, if they're going to talk about it, talk about it a certain way. Okay, people, you should be able to hear me now. Can you hear me? Yay. Okay, excellent. Excellent. I'm glad you can hear me. Okay, so I'm told that I was cut off. Is this a conspiracy, right? What's her name? Um, Rose McGowan was just excluded from Twitter when she started talking about Weinstein. And so what? I was cut out of here when I started talking about the Me Tooers and how they've been criticized for not speaking out the right way. So I was going on this whole thing. So the the one that I saw um, that was talked about on Facebook was Reese Witherspoon. And Reese Witherspoon apparently came out and said when she was 16 that she was sexually assaulted by a director, but she didn't name who it was. And she's been criticized for not naming who it was. Why? Because she's got enough power to withstand and everything else. Um, th- this is the thing, right? So I can see, you know, that there's bad sides of this Me Too movement. Uh, some of the Me Too movement is, you know, kind of reinforcing the sexual harassment laws in our country. Uh, for me, and I think for most people who listen to this show where we're actually focused on the issue of rights, we would say... Sexual harassment is slimy and disgusting and stupid. And I mean, what do you think you're going to get if you're using your power as a boss to get sexual favors or something? What does that say about you? It's dumb and gross and bad and it's horrible. Should it be legally actionable though? No. Right. Um, So that, you know, sort of reinforcing the, you know, the rectitude of, of sexual harassment law seems to be part of the climate of this, and that's wrong. There's also this very politicized, you know, like right-wing bashing on left-wing and stuff and making it very political. That's not very good either. Um, you know, I, the, the, the thing, there's really two elements of this, right? Two elements. One is that Hollywood was, it's like this mirage, as I was talking about earlier, that it's portraying life as it might be and ought to be. And then in the background, here's this guy, this you know, slime ball, trying to get sexual favors from these actresses. And these actresses are expected to turn out these compelling performances in these really high-quality movies and at the same time, he's, you know, so it's, it's, it's a lie. So that's one thing. And then just this opportunity to make real to people how pervasive a problem of sexual assault and rape and stuff is, you know, the, the prevalence of this problem. So there, there's a, a good root element. The bad, of course, is the politics, the validation of so-called sexual harassment law, which I think is bogus. And that, as a friend of mine was writing in her little spiked online piece, she talks about 
how it encourages the victim mentality. People say, oh, poor me. So the, this, the Me Too movement has been just all over the place. And whereas you can see that there's a root value there, anybody would just be reluctant to dive in at all because they're going to be subject to the type of criticism, say, that you know, Reese Witherspoon was subjected to. But what I was saying when I was cut off out there, yeah, so Robert says, baby bathwater. He says, harassment means something. Don't let either side wipe out the concept. Yes, it does mean something. And, you know, we can talk about how slimy it is that so much of, that we thought of was, you know, great value in Hollywood, that so much that we thought was of great value was built on this foundation of this slimy casting couch culture. You can make this cartoon out of it. I'm starting to picture in my mind, you know, it'd be really interesting. But so, so here, here's the piece that I was getting to, right? So you look at what Reese Witherspoon did and she said, okay, when I was 16, there's a famous director and he assaulted me and she doesn't want to say who it is. And can we respect that method of, of dealing with it? And I say a couple things. So don't we as objectivists subscribe to the idea? And, you know, again, not all everybody who listens to the show is an objectivist, but if you have this conception of rights and that morality, actual moral conduct requires acting freely on free will, right? This is the whole thing, you know, that love requires freedom, that that choosing and embracing your version of the American dream would require freedom. All, all of these great things require freedom. Um, acting morally requires freedom. And these women were subject to, to coercion. There's a, the famous phrase, you know, morality ends where a gun begins. And no, not necessarily subjected to guns, but these icky guys forcing themselves on, on these women if you are subjected to this, the ways that you choose to deal with it, there's an, a, a wide variety of options. Some women, okay, they feel you know comfortable. They're going to share like all the details of what it was that happened. Other women might choose to do what Reese Witherspoon said and say, hey, I'm telling you this because I want to help make awareness of this problem, right? I want to make everybody aware of this issue. But at the same time, right, at the same time, um, you don't necessarily want to expose every single detail of what you've gone through and what your feelings were about it, and you don't want to be judged for it. Uh, There's all sorts of mixed feelings that a woman could have about an experience like this, right? So what I respect is I do respect what she did. If she named a name, and then didn't give details, that would be similar, even though it's not a court of law or anything. It would be similar to going into a court of law and accusing somebody of rape and then not actually giving the details that were necessary to result in a proper conviction. So if you're going to name names and you're going to have some sort of a negative repercussion visit upon somebody because they did something to you, then you do need to give enough details so that either in the court of public opinion or in an actual legal court, people can, you know, get, get what they need to make a conviction. But, you know, again, in this environment of 
particularly sexual assault, where they, these women were subjected to force. When you, you know, sit back and you point, you say, okay, well, I don't think you dealt with it properly. And yeah, you can handle that. You can take the heat and you can do this. You don't know exactly what the experience is that what they went through and how they're processing it and everything else. And I'm not saying victim mentality, but what I'm saying is that there is privacy. There is such thing as selective sharing. If, Again, if she did say, you know, so-and-so sexually assaulted me when I was 16, she actually named the name, and then she didn't give any details at all. That would not be fair. That would not be good. But if she said, well, you know, every, everyone that is out here right now, it, it seems to be an opportunity to raise awareness of the pervasiveness of this problem. Let me go ahead and speak out in a limited way and just tell you, yeah, I was one of the people who had this happen to me as well, but I don't want to give any more details than that. I'm not naming a name. I'm not maligning the entire male sex. They're not all dogs or, you know, whatever. And I'm not even maligning a particular person. And I'm going to tell you the, who it is, but you know, if, if my reputation and my word means something to you, just let me tell you that, yeah, I've been a victim of it too and take it for what it is. That's how it's intended. I think it's perfectly valid for a woman to do this and it's valid for them to do it now and not to talk about it till later or if they wait 10 years and then they talk. All this criticism of the women and how they deal with having been a victim of force in this type of environment that had to do with sex. I just, uh, yeah. He says, the last thing we want to do is defend Harvey Weinstein, Bill Clinton, and Elliot Spitzer in the name of what? No, we don't want to. Um, He says, in in our our culture, we've been defending the victims and judging the perpetrators. Um, Me Too is opening it up to harassment. You know, Josh, harassment is a bad thing too, right? But it it is in a different category in a, in a certain way. And as I said, what we don't want to do if you're going to participate in this kind of me too thing is you would not want to lend any validity to the idea of laws against sexual harassment. Sexual harassment is one thing, sexual assault is another thing, and you want to be really clear. You want to say harassment, if it is part of a business culture, is going to devalue that business. I mean, imagine that all the wonderful award-winning movies that Weinstein made over the years, nobody can ever watch those in the same way again. What a destruction of value to know that this was what was behind that. Now, uh, Joss says, I could just say Me Too, which makes the Me Too meaningless. It doesn't make it meaningless, right? I mean, this is this is the problem. And, and maybe there's another thing, too. There's so much fake news out there. There's in the sense of that there has been an, a real fake news problem of people trying to put up these phony news sites and actually reporting events that didn't happen. In general, unless you have a reason to question a person's credibility, if somebody tells you, oh, you know, I saw a truck drive down the street this morning. I'm just telling you an event that I was an eyewitness to. Then you believe them. You know, just sort of common human decency is that if somebody tells you they were a victim of something that you say, okay, you know, I I, I take your So it's not meaningless. Now, are you going to, you know, like I said, 
if you're going to go further and you say, okay, I was a victim of sexual assault or harassment even, you could say harassment, from X person, from a certain person, then maybe you need to give some details because nobody should, you know, condemn or, you know, basically convict or anything else. That person, nobody should condemn or convict that person unless you've got some evidence that you come forward with. That's where you need to do that. But if somebody's telling you, look, you know, I was a victim of this and I don't feel comfortable saying any details about it, you're just going to discount it totally? Yeah, just as I've been harassed, but not in a real way that it hurt me. And there's plenty of that out there. But just to even say, yeah, harassment is more pervasive than you think. And in fact, guys can be victims of it too and everything else. You know, there's a, there's a certain extent to which guys can't be, you know, victims in exactly the same way as, as women can. But it there's, you know, a, a, to a large extent, I, I, you know what, they can be victims to it in a, in a definite way. I'm just saying maybe it's not as pervasive because there can't be the illusion of success. How about that? That's really what I meant to say. Um, harassment law and legal definition. Robert's got it here in the chat room. Harassment is governed by state laws, which vary by state, generally defined as a course of conduct which annoys, threatens, intimidates, alarms, or puts a person in fear of their safety. And I guess you put you use or in the exclusive sense, not necessarily because it doesn't have to include a fear of safety, but it could be a fear of a loss of value like your job, right? You fear you're going to lose your job unless you do whatever your boss says. It, it's horrible. So, yeah, you can go ahead and raise awareness of it that way. But I think anybody who would participate in this, it'd be good to say, I don't believe that harassment should be illegal per se only assault because that's where the the violation of, of rights occurs annoying is there under harassment yeah um yeah too too broad of a definition okay uh, but yeah what you need to do is you need to have that disclaimer you need to say i don't believe that sexual harassment should be illegal per se but nonetheless, let me tell you how pervasive this problem is. And, you know, you might say I was in so-and-so industry and you don't pin it on a particular person. Uh, or, But like I said, if you pin it on a particular person, then you're going to damage their reputation. And if you think you're entitled to damage their reputation, then you need to give details. You need to give evidence as if you were in a court of law, even if if it's just the court of public opinion, then I need to think you need to give details, but I don't have a problem necessarily with what Reese Witherspoon chose to do with that. And if she chooses, you know, being subject to criticism to come out with more details or not, or whatever, whatever choice she would make, I would support in that. And it's not like, I think we should treat everybody as victims either. It's just this realistic sense that they have been subjected to force. And the way that they deal with it is going to be a personal way. So unless they are, you know, doing something to harm other people, what do they owe you? Owe you? They, they, I mean, they were victims of an actual assault, right? Not, again, don't embrace the victim mentality, but they, they don't owe you things. If they come forward and they do more, then, okay, this is good. 
but it, if she was, you know, was 16, it was so many years ago, can something legally be done against the person? She's making a judgment call about whether saying anything more can achieve the value that she's trying to achieve. If you have reason to doubt her motives, if you have reason to doubt the credibility, that's a whole other story. But if you don't, then I say, yeah, leave leave it to people to deal with it. But, you know, how about Weinstein? I mean, how this idea that anything that he got using those methods was genuine in any way, shape, or form, that's how I tie it into, you know, dreaming is, is free. If, you know, the American dream either as portrayed by our politicians as, embraced as entrusted to our politicians, right? You know, and this is, I believe the word that a friend of mine was using earlier when I was brainstorming about the show, that the American dream is entrusted to our leaders and look how it was treated under Reagan. And that little clip that I shared on the program notes is just one little snippet of it, but look how it was treated and just cherished and nurtured right, by Reagan versus Trump. Trump is scaring everybody. Uh, doom and gloom is going to happen unless he has it. Now, he does talk about, you know, in some way, we're going to get the economy going with tax cuts and everything. But he, he'll have a tweet, and it'll just be the stock market, you know, zooming way high or something, and then just, wow. It, it's a stock market. It could be based on a bubble. We don't even know what it's based on. It, it is not a real internalizing and embracing of the values on which our country is based to the extent that you're able to tell engaging stories that you obviously yourself value and you're taken with and everything as Reagan does in that video. There's absolutely no comparison between Trump and, and Reagan in that regard. Trump he is a parasite on love of country. And for some of us, he's sucking love of country out of us in a certain way. I mean, like I said, I'd be for the first time, if I went to an NFL game, for the first time in my life, I'd feel like I'd have to get down on my knees because of what Trump's doing. I would never do that. That's ridiculous. You know, we haven't heard Trump talk for any length of time, not for a long time, about the flag burning. But I think he had said at some point something about a law against flag burning or something. If they did that, we'd have to do it we, to make a statement. Cause that's not what America stands for. America stands for a free uncoerced love of values of country of choosing to pursue your happiness, your version of the American dream. And similarly, you know, in so far as you think Hollywood is doing a decent job of portraying the American dream or different people's choices and how they pursue the American dream, different versions of the American dream. It's not real if it's based on this whole culture of coercion and cajoling and everything else. It is, it's, you know, the slither meets the slime. It's very, it's now tainted because everybody knows about this. And you say, well, everybody knew about it before. How in the world could they think that what they were creating was this great art and this great vision if that's the foundation 
that it was built upon. You know, Rand, uh, in her philosophy, she talks about this fallacy of stolen concept, as it were, and, and you're trying to use this concept in, in and at the same time you're undermining the, the foundation of it. And here they are, they're putting forth these beautiful films that portray life as it might be and ought to be, and then it's the foundation is, is gross. And it, it, yeah, it's very, it's very sad. Um, you know, at least with Trump, right? It's not hidden. It's it's right out there on Twitter all the time. A lot of people are, they don't interpret it the way that I do, and I leave everybody to their interpretation of it. But the way that I interpret what Trump is doing is that I interpret him as trying to feed off love of country while undermining the actual values on which a true love of country could be based. And to use his terms, it's it's really sad. It's it's really sad. So I've got about 10 minutes left. Let me and do this tiny musical break, take a sip, and figure out how we're going to use those 10. Okay, everybody. I, don't, I think you can hear me now, right? I'm back. Let me see what's going on over here. I'm going to look at the chat room. and Oh, they're talking about how Me Too is being made meaningless. That whole Me Too movement is being made meaningless if you include harassment. Just Jean says, if being having been annoyed constitutes harassment, is there anyone who hasn't been harassed, right? I mean, I was subject to all sorts of harassment last week because I dared to post one of the GFDA weekly advice things and in a joking way, in a tongue-in-cheek way, included my own profanity in the prelude to it. Why? Because I wanted to make a point about the value of principles over rules. And then I had these two guys come on there and just tell me how basically I was a disgrace to objectivism, to Rand's philosophy, because I used profanity and I was using it in jest. And I'm not a person who goes out there and uses profanity often or anything. I'm very selective. And so here they are. And, and when I called them on it politely, I called them on it politely. They just kept doubling down. And like the next day they come back more. Finally, I had to block these people. So, yeah. Harassment? Sure. All the time. And could I talk about these two guys and say maybe they were doing it because I was a woman a woman, and they're intimidating me a little bit? Hmm. I don't know. There's elements of that out there. So I could talk about that. Um, but yeah, Robert says in the chat room, he says, women experience harassment in ways you wouldn't tolerate, ways that do threaten them, ways you wouldn't tolerate. And if you knew about them, you would take Prompt retributive action. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Women know that even if, you know, we've talked about this in connection with 
the training for Marines and stuff, right? They're, they're starting to accept women into a lot of these physically demanding officer training programs in the various branches of the military, and the women can't do it. These buff, awesome, really strong women hack it because the physical tests are just too hard. And the guys who can pass it, yeah, okay, they are pretty amazing as well. But, you know, statistically speaking, a much weaker man can overpower a, you know, statistically speaking, again, stronger woman. You can be a really tough chick and you need to know some sort of physical defense techniques, you know, Kung Fu, Krav Maga, whatever. You've got to go take a class because... With your physical strength alone, you're helpless. Or you've got to you know, have a gun with you because you could be overpowered. And you know that at any time. So if you put yourself in a situation where you're alone with a guy and you don't necessarily want to have sex with them, nonetheless, you can know in the back of your mind that that guy would be capable of forcing it on you. Right? So, I don't know. Uh, Robert says, some forms of harassment don't warrant legal prosecution, but absolutely do warrant moral condemnation and possibly a solid punch in the nose. Yeah, that would be cathartic. And sometimes the women, they'll do the solid punch in the nose. Um, and is it is it rare? I, no, I mean, I don't think that this sort of stuff is very rare. Yeah. So the Me Too movement, it is, it's mangled and out there. There's, I, I do think that there is some point to it as well, though. And it's unfortunate that it's gotten so political and that anybody who, you know, goes out there and tries to do some good opens them out, you know, themselves up for attack in that way. And, and people aren't really understanding it, like I think, in a, in a principled way and saying, yeah, okay, harassment, let's criticize let's criticize the culture uh, with respect to assault definitely that's something where we want to expose and if you're going to go ahead and accuse somebody of assault you need to give evidence that's something you know that's conviction worthy type evidence because even if you're choosing not to pursue a legal action if you go out there and say somebody's name about this you're going to be convicting them in the court of public opinion. So that's where I would criticize, right? If you, if you did choose, if you come out there and you say, me too, so-and-so assaulted me, and then you don't give any details at all, I think that would be bad. But if you make other choices within the, the realm of the acceptable, which is not to malign somebody's character, an individual's character. If you went out there and said, me too, and therefore all men are bad, it'd be the same thing as well, I, I would forget that. Yeah. Oh, thanks for people. People are tweeting out there and saying, yeah, Trump should inspire love of country, not force it. Yeah. Weinstein, if he wanted sexual gratification from these gorgeous actresses, he should have tried to inspire those feelings in them, not trick them and not implicitly threaten them with a loss of a job or a role or ruin their reputation in Hollywood and all the sorts of really slimy garbage that he did. So, yeah, 
Robert says, yes, the Me Too is a mess. It's a mixed bag, and it's easy to think you should take one side or the other for or against. It is, yeah. And, and you know, saying, okay, I want to talk about this movement, but what exactly do you say? And I think I think I've got pretty much a good handle on, on the approach. Again, any any woman who wants to just go out there and say, or even a man as well, of course, sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be biased, you guys. It's live radio. Cut me in some flack if I'm editing. I'll say guys too. But anyone who wants to go out there and say, me too, but I'm not giving details, I'm perfectly supportive of that. If you have been a victim of, of force, then I would say go ahead and do it. So I've got very little time left. All I can tell you is run over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com if you want a little blast from the past from Blondie, the song title that I thought of, Dreaming. If if what you're dreaming is the American dream, yes, it's free. I, I, you know, I don't mean love is free. I was going to say, you know, love is free. It's not free. You You earn it, but you're not going to get it by, you know, again, money, force, cajoling, et cetera. And you're not going to inspire love of America by cajoling it and by using implicit threats out on Twitter or anything else. I really do wish we had a president who inspired love, inspired people to pursue the American dream for themselves, not to exclude other people, you know, not this fear-ridden nationalism that we have right now. And Hollywood, boy, what a, what a mess. I, I, I just, wish it was not this way Um, but hopefully they'll clean it up anyway thanks everyone i'm going to be back next monday and i will talk to you then i'm not going to be able to do a show this friday again so it's going to be next monday at 3 p.m eastern time 12 noon pacific time in the meantime like i said go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com or i'll see you on social media as well so take care have a good weekend